Robinson, Sabonis, two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. And today we are joined by James Plowright, the site content manager of All Hornets for SI, uh, to get a little bit of perspective on a team that I think has uh, some intriguing pieces as this trade deadline approaches. Um, what's going on, James? How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I'm thrilled to be coming on your podcast for the first time in a successful Kings year. I'm living vicariously through the Sacramento Kings this year with the Charlotte Hornets season being a complete waste of time if we're being honest at this point <laughs> so and I, I looked up that this by the way at the start of this podcast this time last year the Hornets were 26 and 20 right which is very similar to the Kings record I just want to remind Kings enjoy this now because you never know when it's going to come tumbling down absolutely I will I guess we could start with this real quick like do you feel like everybody uh because admittedly obviously I keep a closer eye on the west coast and the east but do you feel like Obviously, I can get caught up in my own bubble covering the Kings. Like, do you feel like every other franchise or people in around the league are also just rooting for Sacramento? Oh yeah, uh, they're the NBA's team, definitely. I think, and I think it would be the same way if Charlotte were doing the same thing. Like it, it was a little bit last year. Everyone was Miles Bridges, the mother ball, Eric Collins, the best announcer in the league, league pass rankings. The Hornets are always at the top. Like, I think people do want as much as they criticize, like the rubbish traditionally poor performing franchises that they want them to do well right so uh yeah i think the kings the beam is just great i mean <laughs> talk about the time if the beam had been like one of the any other kings depressing seasons i think it would become quite sad and tragic but it's now pretty much the the top three things in the nba the beam is ballsy because like this was clearly decided on early in the yeah. year and like if you were lighting it like 30 times all year this this would have been uh yeah, pretty sad beam. Um, Do you think the person who came up with that idea like retired 15 years ago and it's like <laughs> they've been waiting a year to finally think, wait, this is the one. This is right. why we bring it out. Right. Yeah, it, that has to be. Has to be. Um, to start more vague, and I, I know you can take this in whatever direction you want, but what the hell has happened this year? I, I know that like when I was going through kind of trying to recap off seasons, um, looked at Charlotte and I was like, man, they really didn't do anything. And obviously there's the Miles Bridges BS and and everything that went on there. But like there weren't many moves this offseason. Um, what were your expectations coming into the year? And and just kind of what have you seen so far that has them at 13 and 36? You're right. They did nothing in the offseason. They did nothing, but everything happened is how I describe it. Right. Um, coming into the season, I was expecting the team to be lottery bound you know bottom eight record i was looking i was surprised how like if you looked at the over-unders the hornets was like mid-30s i was a little shocked at that i thought they would be struggling to be a playing team when you look at the quality around the rest of the league um and that was with guys being healthy i think that the reason they're so bad right now 13 wins is largely health driven um just not even counting gordon hayward because we know what that situation is going to be but lamella ball has said three ankle sprains now. Terry's in, missed a bunch of time. Cody Martin has pretty much been out the whole year. Kelly Oubre's got the hand injury. 
it's just been one thing after another. The only guy who hasn't got hurt is Mason Plumley, and he's probably the one guy in the Hornets roster fans don't want to see play because of the the rookie Mark Williams and Nick Richards behind him. Um, and and I I do feel quite sorry for the team. Uh, one because of the injuries, but two, just that Miles Bridges situation. The 24 hours before free agency, I mean that just torpedoes your entire plan. You you don't. They won't have even known for the first two weeks. We're now in January and they still don't know what's happening with Miles Bridges. How can you go make long-term moves by long-term signings, et cetera, when you don't know if a guy is going to be in jail or not, who is probably the second best player on your team? So I think that really torpedoed free agency. You also have, you know, the coaching issue with Kenny Atkinson hired, then he backed out. You had issues with James Booknight uh, getting DUIs and all sorts of reports about him. Um, so that there was a, it was a summer of, I mean, I've not even listed everything there. We'd have to yeah, do a whole Jesus. podcast on that. But it was a summer where the team didn't do much, but everything like off the court was, the signals were coming. This was going to be a tough year. People, people knew it. Yeah. And it absolutely has been a tough year. Um, is there any clarity or do you feel like you have a better idea on like the Miles Bridges situation at this point? It's it's interesting. I don't have any sourced uh, insight. I reading the tea leaves. I think he'll end up back on the team. Um, you know they've kept an open roster spot the entire year. They've not made any trades where they've like taken on salary or they didn't make any moves in free agency. He's been at a couple of at least one of the Hornets games, and mm. it's very clear like the players on the team still like Miles and view him as a friend and a teammate and they've talked about how they want him to be back soon so it's it's not like the, the team have distanced themselves from miles bridges um it, it feels like they would like him back on the team and it's a it's a very like as you can imagine it's a very divisive topic amongst the fan base but i've done some research some like rough polling and in the summer, straight after it happened, 50% of Hornets fans wanted him back, 50% didn't. Ever since there's been like more reporting that's come out with some of the, I mean, it's like TMZ celebrity gossip. It's really not my cup of tea, but if you want to go uh, look into it, you can find out. There's some things out there that maybe make you think there's more to the story than initially reported. And some people have sympathized more with Miles Bridges. Um, so I, I think he'll be back on the team eventually. Uh, but that's just me trying to read what's happening yeah it's interesting uh because you know it does have implications on the rest of the roster the whole situation was gross i have not been admittedly keeping up um but I blame you yeah obviously gross how everything went down and, and we don't need to get too much into it but just kind of wanted uh to do my best to get filled in on that a little bit and and Let's just move on to, obviously, from Sacramento's perspective, main reason I, I brought you on, James, is to kind of talk about some of the pieces that I think are um, potentially could be involved in this trade deadline. And I think the name that has been floated around most often for the Sacramento Kings, at least for from the fan base and and media members that are like myself that are trying to just theorize, not any sourced or anything like that, um, is Mason Plumley like the backup center position in Sacramento has been an absolute mess when Domas comes when Demontis Bonus comes off the floor, nothing is is working for them. Um, 
which ideally Rashawn Holmes should be that guy, but it's been a little bit of Chemesi Metsu and, and a handful of other guys, but nobody's getting it done. And Mason Plumlee's having a great year and a great stretch specifically right now. The last 20 games, 15.7 points, 10 rebounds, 3.1 assists, 73% from the field. Oh my God. Um, 67% from the free throw line. I don't know how many guys are That's an improvement. better from he was the field. <laughs> 30, he was at 39% last year from free throws. Shooting right-handed. And he swapped, for listeners who don't know, they probably do. He swapped to shoot left-handed about halfway through last season. And now he's up at 69. And and honestly, like it's it looks so much smoother. Um, so that's, that's a positive. 69%, you take that. It's hilarious. Part of the reason I would love Mason Plumlee on the Kings is because if I get to watch uh, Mason Plumlee and Matthew Della Vadova shoot shots yeah. together in practices, that sounds like just one of the most enjoyable things. They both look like they're like in pain when they're attempting jump shots. So, And the, the best thing is watching the opposing team's benches when he hits like a left yes. jumper or a, a free throw. <laughs> There's like one a game where like some guy in the bench who obviously hasn't watched Mason Plumlee all year just like turns to his teammate in shock and it's like what? How did that go in? I think it happened uh, when they were in Sacramento this year. He he made a like elbow jumper and I think it was Trey Lyles on the bench that or yes. Terrence Davis that was kind of like what is happening right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's great. But when it comes to what Mason has been doing this year, like do you feel like this is? what he's been or are you kind of um has anything in, impressed you as of late that's that stood out that you didn't see in years prior so he's this is his second year in charlotte um he obviously signed in detroit and got traded here um he has been if he'd have played this level last season it would have been a completely different story because last year the center play was the weakness of the team right um you had him uh, Basically, everyone else in the starting team was doing pretty well, and Mason Plumlee was really letting the side down. Uh, you fast forward to this year, and he's like the center position is probably one of the strengths. And specifically, one, he is just way more confident and comfortable. And he's talked about this like it was his first year in Charlotte. He was getting used to um, like being in a new city, getting used to his teammates. And I think the free throw thing last year, he was down at like say thirty nine percent for parts of the year. It was lower. I think that really played got him in his confidence where he wasn't being physical inside because he did not want to get fouled because he was airballing free throws. Whereas now he like wants to get fouled. Like he has position and he used to like jump up and then pass it out because he's like, oh, I don't want to shoot free throws. Whereas now he's initiating the contact and being much more aggressive inside. So I definitely think he is more confident, like looking for his own offense. And then I think playing for Steve Clifford, you're talking about a guy who like had Al Jefferson and Charlotte had Nick Lucevic in Orlando. He's a guy who's been able to like get the best out of like inside orientated bigs. Now I'm not saying that Plumlee is anything we're near as skilled as those two guys, but like he wants to score points in the paint. That is a point of emphasis. And, you know, Steve likes having Mason Plumlee get down low, finding him on the inside. So I think the system has helped a little bit with that as well. And then with all the injuries they've had for the times of the year, Mason Plumlee has been like the best offensive creator like out of dribble handoffs and kind of passing like you know you guys see it with Sabonis all the time when Lamelo and Rozier were injured earlier in the year we were like running point Plumlee type lineups um so that's helped inflate his assist numbers especially because there was just such a, a lack of like playmaking creativity for parts of the season when there were injuries 
Uh, defensively, it's, it's been a pretty similar story. I can't lie. But um, he's been a beast on the glass. And because of his improved free throw shooting, he's been able to play more minutes this year. He never finished games last season, whereas now he does uh, because that free throw shooting was so poor. So it's it sounds like a simple thing, but it really has unlocked like him playing more minutes, him being more confident. Uh, it's been a massive change for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's somebody like the playmaking that you mentioned, I think, is is the big thing from Sacramento's point of view. Like they very clearly and I think this is why Rashawn Holmes has struggled so much. I think that if you ran Rashawn Holmes in a pick and roll over and over, uh, which some teams tend to like that offense, um, that you could see some success. And that's what we saw, why we saw him be successful in years prior. But if you're trying to have him be a decision maker in in dribble handoffs, um, which clearly they're trying to run the same offense that they run when Sabonis is out there with their backup big. Um, I, I think that Mason Plumlee, in, in my mind, is a guy that can do that. Um, when it comes to this trade deadline as it approaches for him, um, I'd imagine I'm not the only person asking you what the asking price of of Mason Plumlee is. Like, I also saw a piece recently in The Athletic walking through the... Uh, different guys that could be available this trade deadline. I think they walked through like 25 different names and wrote a small snippet on each one. And I believe it was Sam Vecini that mentioned, well, maybe teams would be hesitant to give up anything for Mason Plumlee because he could be a buyout candidate. Like what, what is your perspective on how this trade deadline will go with Mason Plumlee? Like, what do you think the market sort of looks like for him? I've said on my own podcast that if the if the Hornets didn't trade Mason Plumlee, I think it would be organizational malpractice, genuinely. Uh, he's a free agent this summer. Like you either trade him or like if for some reason you really invested in him, you extend him. You don't just let him go to the summer because he is extension eligible. Um, uh, I think I think it is likely he's moved. I think Mark Williams and Nick Richards have shown enough behind him where if I was a GM, I don't know how you could be looking at this situation going for the last 20, 30 games of the season. Let's get an extended look at these two young players. Like we need to figure out, are we going to pay Nick Richards in the summer? Well, let's see what he looks like as the starting center. Um, I, I think there are other teams involved for Mason Plumley. It, it was interesting. Like I'd say a month ago, it was more me reaching out to people being like, hey, would your team be interested in Mason Plumley?" And now like people being like, what does Charlotte want for Mason Plumlee? So there has like been a, a subtle shift. Just on his playmaking, I wanted just to touch on, you raised that. That is an area, he's always been good at that, but he's actually taken a major jump this year. Um, the assist numbers, maybe not so much, but like his turnovers are way down. So for his career, he is like 18, 19% turnover, which is pretty high for a big. This year, he's put that down to 13.8. So he's gone from like being in the eighth, ninth percentile every year this year being the 60th, but his assist numbers haven't dropped at all. So he's able to keep that same level of creation and the turnovers have gone way down. And that was always the issue last year. He, he'd do a beautiful backdoor cut pass and you'd be like, that's great. And then he would try it a quarter later and it would just be a turnover and run out down the other end. So even though the passing flashes looked great, like the net effect, I didn't ever feel really impacted the team. Whereas that was a, a big change for this year. But, um, yeah, for other teams interested, I mean, I've I've written an article myself. The Kings are one that obviously makes sense. The Nuggets have a trade exception that Mason Plumlee fits right into. And they are also desperate for a backup center. 
The LA Clippers also have a trade exception, which he fits into, and they're looking for backup help behind Zubac. So I think there's going to be a lot of teams interested. And how I imagine Charlotte will play this out is, you know, teams will have Plumlee somewhere in a ranking list, right? Yaka Pertle might be at the top. Mason Plumlee might be however many, you know, right down from that. As different people go off the board or are clearly unavailable, they'll probably like come back to a Mason Plumley deal. And as we get closer to the deadline, Charlotte will probably pick the best offer. That's how I'm anticipating this playing out. And from Charlotte's perspective, like what do you think are the most intriguing returns? Like this is still an expiring big. And, and you mentioned at the beginning, like uh, some of the fan base and, and obviously with where they're at right now, like kind of hoping for some of the younger bigs, uh, a Nick Richards, Mark Williams. I don't know if, um, Kai Jones falls into a center or power forward, but um, kind of making clearing up minutes for some of those other guys. But what do you feel like is the ideal return when it comes to Plumlee? Not second round picks, but that's all I think they're going to get. <laughs> yeah. It's basically where I'm at. Um, the Hornets, for those who don't know, they, they traded the 13th pick in last year's draft, which is Jalen Duran, uh, for a, for basically the Denver first for this year, which is looking like it's going to be probably 26 plus for then and four second round picks. And they already had a bunch of second round picks anyway. And which like, is that just like undeniably a shit deal, by the way? Yeah. And we knew it on draft night. Yeah. yeah I, we lost our minds. Um, yeah. it, it was very unclear at first what happened because it was all very complicated with Detroit, New York and everyone. But it was, like, even if you don't take Duran, you take AJ Griffin, you take Tari Eason, you, I don't know, just don't trade. Like, how often do you trade a lottery pick for seconds and a late third? It just, right. it blows my mind. They they basically didn't want to have too many young players on the roster was the, the reasoning for that because the, they, their goals were playoffs this year. This team is not tanking. They're just bad. It's, you know, the Kings have probably been in that situation a few times, like <laughs> yes. where they're not planning to be in that position. It's just how it's played out. Um, so in, in terms of return, I mean, I'm I'm not one of these like Hornets fans who go, well, look at that, you know, 16 points, 10 rebounds, three assists. He's got to get a first round pick. I'm, I'm pretty realistic. He's a 32 year old backup big. He's not going to be starting for any team in the playoffs unless something's gone very wrong. Um, so for me, you're getting second round picks or... Like if you want to take on a good player, but who's on like a dodgy salary, um, then then that could be a way to go about it. But this team has never been one to kind of take on a bad contract for assets. They've never, ever done that uh, at any point, really. So uh, it doesn't really like they're not going to no playoff team is going to give up a good rotation level player to get Mason Plumley because they'll just create a hole elsewhere. So I'm thinking second second round picks, which I didn't really think the team need, but I, I'd rather do it for that and then try and package that in a separate deal down the line. Makes sense. Um, I guess just to formulate a deal when it comes to Sacramento's perspective, and I got to say, I never thought that I would spend 15 minutes on a podcast talking about Mason Plumley, but that's where we're at right now. He's in uh, that right. He's in the right. Absolutely. And by the way, when you mentioned his free throw percentage, I didn't know that it was 39 last year. Like, mm. Holy shit. That is, that's insane. Um, when it comes to the matching salary to me, the, the three players that I expect Sacramento to 
have in conversations this year are Terrence Davis, Alex Len, and um, Rashawn Holmes, right? And and obviously Rashawn isn't part of the conversation for Plumlee in my mind, but like when it comes to the matching salary, and it would take one more player as well, but like, do you have a preference between like Terrence Davis, Alex Len when it comes to positionally? Like in your mind, is is taking back another big a preference compared to taking back another wing? Uh, I I don't think anything matters really because yeah. whoever it is isn't seeing the end of the season anyway. Right. Um, it wouldn't be a big. I don't think um, it would more likely be a wing. Uh, probably more likely be Terence Davis. I would think out of those two, but but honestly, it really doesn't matter because I don't think any of those guys would really see the court, and they might even be bought out when they traded to Charlotte. Makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Um, and then when you see like the Rui trade where Rui goes for pretty much matching salary and three picks, like in your mind is, is one pick getting it done? Like the Kings have Indiana's 2023 second rounder, which last I checked, I think was sitting at like 39, uh, as of right now it's sitting at 42, like is Terrence Davis, Chemezi Metu and the 42nd pick a sort of Mason Plumley package or look if, if the trade deadline is ticking down and that is the deal that is left on the table, then I, I do it as Charlotte. Um, I, I hope maybe there is something more. I would hope maybe for some like longer down the line seconds. Cause I've already got, I think the Utah second this year, the Boston second for this year and a late first round pick already. Um, and it just gives them more time to maybe package that and move that down the line. Um, but I'm not turning it down, but that's one of those where you, you'd call up, if I'm Mitch Kupchak, I call up the Clippers, the Nuggets, and I say, look, this is what Sacramento are offering me. Um, can, can you bet the deal? And it will come down to who feels the need, uh, who is most important for, like to add that piece. Um, so I, I think like, yes, if there is nothing else out there, I would accept that. But if, if there's a little bit of a Mason Plumley sweepstakes, which is again mm-hmm. something else I didn't think I'd ever say, then then like two seconds or like a second, and someone who's maybe got a little bit more upside as someone who could like stay beyond next season uh, would probably be of more more interest. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think the three bigs that have stood out to me are are Mason Plumley at the top, um, Kelly Olynyk, who does have like three million guaranteed going into next year and then Nas Reed I think is kind of interesting um, but when it comes to second rounder Sacramento have available they have all their own seconds outside of 26 and 27 which they do own but just technically cannot be traded because of uh, stipulations with like the Kevin Herter pick that could technically turn into second rounders but obviously will not but those can't be moved and then they also have the Indiana 2023 second that I just pointed out uh, Dallas 2024 second a Portland 2025 second, which in my mind is kind of on par with the Indiana 2023 yeah. second when it comes to value. Um, and then a Dallas 2028 second, which at that point, that far out, you never know what could happen. Um, so they do have a lot of second round picks. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where we go from there. I think if the Kings like really felt like Mason Plumlee was a good fit that would really help this team, which I think it's important to keep in mind, keep in mind from the Kings perspective that we're really talking about like, 15 minutes a night you know so i I don't know how much this really changes i i do think it's something that it's important to fix um because it's a clear issue right now but 
I don't know how much it changes long term. Uh, but to move on from Mason Plumley, like I think if a deal needed to be made and they felt like that was a priority, it could. Um, but to move on from from Mason Plumley, the other guy that stands out as interesting to me. Well, there, well, there's a couple, but um, one of the they're more all, they're all available. So you, you take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really curious about Jalen McDaniel's. Um, obviously his brother's been, been playing well in Minnesota, but like, what, what have you seen in this, I guess, semi breakout season and how much of it from someone admittedly that doesn't watch that much Charlotte, how much of it is like just getting minutes and production on a bad team? So Jalen McDaniels, I think is one of the most impressive player development stories in the NBA for a second round pick over the last decade. Uh, he was selected 52nd overall. Um, and if you look at guys selected in that 50 to 60 range, there are not many who have got to the level that Jalen McDaniels is at. Um, Jalen McDaniels is someone I was shocked to be in trade rumors. I guess it's because he's a free agent this summer. But honestly, for me, like if I were to circle guys in this roster who I would want back for next year, like I can see on a winning playoff team, it would be Lamella Ball, Cody Martin, Mark Williams, um, I would, I would, I would put, and I've said this before. I put Jalen McDaniel's ahead of PJ Washington for me, wow. which I know for a lot of people, yeah, will blow the mind because PJ's been a consistent starting player since he's come in the league. But uh, Jalen is a highly competitive defender. Um, he's super long, super quick, um, really high effort. He's shot the ball extremely well over the last, not extremely well, well enough over the last couple of years that for someone who you know, he's 6'10", has like a basically seven-foot wingspan. He can really get out and transition, score well. He has like a good like like in-between mid-range game when guys close out on him hard. He is just someone who I could see playing the Jay Crowder role in the playoffs for a team in his career. Um, he he's His big thing right now is probably lack of strength that holds him back most defensively and offensively. And he's never going to be a thick guy just because of his frame. But he's still in 24 years old. And by the time that guy is like 28, 29, 30, he's going to be a lot stronger. And he is one guy that uh, when I say they're all available, I was, I was tongue in cheek. Jalen McDaniels is, is one guy who he might be, but I, I would be very reluctant to move on from Jalen McDaniels because I, I think he has potential to be every way as impactful as his brother Jaden. Probably not quite as much defensively, but I think Jalen has really shown some stuff on, some stuff on offense, which Jaden hasn't. And I know that's not, that's going to be like people be saying that's a ridiculous take. But if you look at the advanced stats, you look at the defensive stats, you look at um, their side by side numbers. If, you know, Jaden, Jalen is two years older, that's the main difference, but they are pretty comparable. Um, and and Jalen rebounds at a much higher level and probably has more like power forward potential, can play the three or the four, whereas it was Jaden isn't quite as versatile, I don't think. I never would have guessed that he was the older brother. Maybe I'm just basic for assuming that the one that is more established is the older one, uh, but I never would have guessed that Jalen was the older brother. He's somebody that like, I mean, people have clamored for, for Jaden. Like the Kings need a four, that is an impact defender because as good as Domas is, um, he, he obviously the majority of his impact is coming on the offensive end and he has his defensive shortcomings. He's been a lot better than I expected, um, but he does have his shortcomings there. Like that, that's somebody that's really interesting to me. What do you, 
what do you think the reasonable salary is for him this offseason? Yeah, I've, I've written about this recently because the Hornets can technically extend him um, for like up to 15 per year right now, which like judging off reports and like, I think he can be a starting level quality player. Um, it wouldn't shock me if he got 15 per year. I think what is maybe more likely is something in the 11 to 13 range, 10 to 13 range, something of that nature. Um, but I like he's proved to me last year and this year that he could be a be a starter on a on a good team. So I think he could get start starting salary money. Interesting. It, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see for sure. And the other guy you mentioned, kind of in the course of that conversation, is PJ Washington. That's somebody that's been interesting to me. Uh, the Kings have a whole lot of Kentucky guys between De'Aaron, Malik, Trey Lyles. Uh, PJ Washington in there means nothing, but just pointing it out. Um, what do you, what do you think of PJ Washington when it comes to, I, I think offensively, I obviously have a lot of faith of him as a shooter, um, a um, just play finisher rather than creator, which I think would be important for the Kings. But I, I'm curious and correct me if I'm wrong on any of that. You obviously have a way better perspective there, but what do you think of him as, as a um, defender? He's a very good rim protector for a four, which pairing next to someone like Sabonis pricks your ears up, right? Because he can offer a little bit of rim protection. The issue with PJ is he's really undersized. He's six foot seven. So like he is a really subpar rebounder, and that's been a real disappointment for this Hornets team. Um, and like just like his when he gets matched up against bigger guys, both on the glass and in like individual defense, he just really he really struggles, and he's he's not great on the perimeter either. Uh, he's not great at moving his feet. He's kind of like a good weak side defender. When he's matched up someone like his size, he's actually like really good. He's actually defended Sabonis pretty well in the past. Um, when Charlotte have played, uh, when he was Sabonis was in the Pacers, he used to play him quite a bit, and he he did a a decent job. But I would say I would say mixed. The defensive rebounding lets him down. His perimeter defense lets him down. But he is a good rim protector for someone who is six seven, um, and he has like quick hands and can he can like come up with like big defensive plays and big moments. But I would worry is like a starting front court just the the overall size uh, of like Sabonis and PJ Washington. Uh, that would be that would be my concern for the Kings. Yeah, it's interesting, and and I guess like maybe. My thought is maybe if you throw Keegan Murray in there, that that helps a bit, but it's still not great size. Um, it's more of like a if Harrison walks, you need somebody else to fill that. If Harrison Barnes walks, you need somebody else to sort of fill that. And mm. PJ's been a guy it's, that's it's, been floated around. Yeah, it's, it's I, I say size. It's not even I'd say it's physicality. I'd mm -hmm. say that's the thing. You know, it doesn't matter if you're six seven if you're PJ Tucker, right? But PJ has not shown like the force to body up people to beat like really get into people in the defensive end. That's where that's where I think the, the issue is, and I know that's one of Sabonis' strength, right? It's like super strong, super physical. Right. Um. So maybe maybe that would be a little bit better, but yeah, I don't know. I've not watched as much Keegan Murray on defense this year. I don't know if he would be like better taking the more physical matchup. I'm not sure. I don't think we are yet either. I I think it's still all kind of hypothetical. Um. I do like. 
it, I like that I'm in a position where I can not worry too much about rebounding struggles when the Kings have the best rebounder in the league on their team with Sabonis. And Keegan has really emerged as a really good rebounder. I think he was at Iowa, and, and you didn't see that at much at the beginning of the year, but you have seen it as of late. And I think that'll be a good thing uh, moving forward. But what what do you kind of expect? I, I guess, first of all, do you think that there's a decent chance that PJ gets moved uh, prior to the deadline? And what do you imagine this restricted free agency looking like? It wouldn't shock me if he was moved. Um, the reporting recently, Zach Lowe, Bobby Marks are talking about this the other day, um, were saying that it seems like Charlotte are leaning towards keeping PJ now and the, the kind of trade chatter has gone quieter. I mean, he's he's been in every trade room, every trade deadline for basically the last two years. Um, I, I'm kind of a little bit surprised because I think he's had every opportunity to, to succeed this season. Like he was given more remit to be more than just like stand in the corner and shoot threes, which is basically what he's done for his first three years of his career. And he's tried to do a bit more this year and it's been really inefficient. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier about being a good like play finisher. He's really inefficient around the rim. I mean, unless he's got a runaway, um, he's one of the worst finishers, I think, for for forwards and bigs uh, in the paint and in like that like, mid-range area. So um, what what is restricted free agency could look like? I'm I'm really torn. He's just so inconsistent. And the, I mean, we joke about this on, on my podcast and all Hornets. It, you just never know what PJ Washington is going to turn up. I mean, he, he lay 40 on the Kings, I think, last season. Um, I remember that. He, he had like 42 points, I believe, in the Sacramento Kings. And then the next night, I think he had like seven points. And that is just the PJ Washington experience. He looked great one night and not the next. And I just don't know how you put a value on that when some is like so variable in their performance levels. Um, I, I'd guess somewhere in the like 14, uh, 13 to 18 million range, like slightly more than Jalen McDaniels, just because he's probably a bit more of a known quantity um, than Jalen, even though like on a playoff team, I actually think like Jalen McDaniels is a much simpler fit because of his rebounding, his defense. Um, He plays a much like simpler brand of basketball, which if you're around high volume offensive players, you could just like, plug really easily next to a good offensive hub yeah it's definitely intriguing i mean i will say um like you mentioned when i hear rim protection from before it does perk my ears up especially as a guy that can also shoot the three even if he does have his other limitations um so it's intriguing um but i i don't want to keep you here for too long so i'll I'll leave you with this kind of last question that's that's fairly open-ended like when it comes to the other guys on this team, which I, I know there's a handful of others, but like a Cody Martin, which Caleb Martin has blown my mind, by the way, this year. Um, I, I've seen a lot more of him, admittedly, than Cody. Uh, Miami might be, even though Miami's had a, a little bit of a tough season for their standards, it's it's a little bit easier to watch them, I will say, than Charlotte. Um, and But but when it comes to like Cody Martin or a Kelly Oubre or like Gordon Hayward or, or anybody else you want to throw in this mix, like who else do you expect to be uh pretty active in conversations and is there anybody that stands out to you that like man some other team is going to get this guy and and he's going to just totally thrive well Jalen mcdonald's would be that guy if, if they'd move Jalen, that would be a shock to me uh the, the other kind of like most obvious name to probably mention is kelly Bray, right another expiring contract 
He's out right now after left-hand surgery. He's been playing with it for most of the season. Um, and the 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 journey of Kelly Oubre and Charlotte was bizarre because last season, he essentially just came in the game and gunned threes at like this ridiculous rate. And he actually shot it pretty well, but his defense was appalling. He very rarely attacked the rim and he turned into like a three-point marksman who was very high volume and, and pretty good efficiency. This year, he just, it, if you told me like Kelly Ray's twin brother had come to Charlotte, I would have believed <laughs> you because he just completely changed how he played. And he, he said that, that he settled too much last year and he wanted to be more rim focused. And all of a sudden this season, he was a downhill driver. He was getting to the rim like almost at will. Um, he doesn't pass the ball. He didn't shoot the ball anywhere near as well from three, but I partly think that was to do with this left-hand injury, which has been bothering him. Um, and he's been much more engaged defensively. I think he was like top 10 in the league in deflections. He was leading Charlotte in deflections, like being super active. He's a great point of attack defender this season. There is a bit of a worry then like, well, if he was that guy last year and this guy this year, what Kelly Oubre would you get if he went somewhere else? I think that's a fair question to ask. Um, and, and he's like said he's happy in Charlotte and he wants to stay here. He said that before. And I think Steve Clifford, the head coach, really likes him. But look, he's an unrestricted free agent who is a wing who can defend, theoretically shoot, and is like a kind of like a, an athletic downhill driver. I, I can see a lot of teams needing that off the bench as a sixth, seventh man. So he's the, he's the other guy who I think could be moved. The, the hand injury complicates things. He's not playing right now. But for me, honestly, I actually think that helps his trade value. I'd rather him like get the surgery, be healthy for the playoffs than his performance levels being, you know, continuing to tumble down, his shooting percentages go further down because he's having to play through this hand injury. Um, you hope that you you sell to a contender. Look, he'll be ready to go for, for like all of February pretty much. I think it's trending that way. So I think Kelly, Mason are the most likely two to be traded. Um, and then probably PJ Washington comes in after that. If not, yeah, Terry's is name I've seen around. I, I I wouldn't hate it if they did move Terry, but I I think there's other dominoes to fall first. Yeah, Terry's on an interesting deal. Interesting. I mean, I, it, it's a big deal. But I'm a big Terry guy. I was a big uh, Celtics guy prior to covering the Kings, and admittedly have a little bit of love for Terry Rozier that still exists. Um, so be interesting to see what happens there. You've got me all aboard Mason Plumley, and dreaming of of Jalen McDaniels, um, but we will see what ends up happening. I, I really appreciate you, James. Again, anybody listening, James Plowright um, at British underscore Buzz on Twitter, content manager for All Hornets and host of the All Hornets podcast as well. Um, any final thoughts or questions for me or anything like that, James? Before we get out of here. No final thoughts. Yeah, just uh, make sure you find us on, on Twitter. We're kind of one of the very few accredited uh, Hornets content providers. So we were able to get access. Uh, we've got some good fun interviews lined up with some ex-Hornets and Bobcats players coming up as well. So if you want to if you want to kind of dip your toe back into what it's like to be a disappointing NBA franchise, head <laughs> on over to All Hornets. Yeah, if, the, if people, if Kings fans need to find a source of comfort and familiarity, yeah. this, this might be the place to look. So um, appreciate you, James, and appreciate to everybody listening. Um, take a look at the Kings Herald for the work from myself. I just put out a piece on Keegan Murray's recent development. 
kind of turning heads and all the other great guys and gals there is take a look at their Patreon as for local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And hear from us again in the next couple of days.